I am huge on visualization, seeing yourself successful, working through the steps that it's going to take to reach those goals, know what your goals are, and then just realize that the reason people fail is they give up too early. Good morning. Welcome to the Rotom Mindset Podcast. We have a special guest today, Mr. Stacy Sutter out of Texas, who owns. Tell us, tell us about. I know we got a couple different companies. We own uh, we own Summit VA Solutions, which is a virtual assistant company that kind of has a couple of verticals that we specialize in. Primarily, it's real estate, but in the last three or four years during COVID, we uh, opened some new verticals and we are in you know, financial planning. We are in you know, services. I've got like media. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Opened it up to everybody. That, that's cool. Now we, you and I, we actually met at a business expo in Phoenix. Yep. And bonded over guns and cigars and military and what have you. So... But you know, say for you know, since then I have used your VA services several times and always been best of the best. I've never had a single problem. All of your VAs have been absolutely top notch. Not a complaint with any of them. So I will personally vouch for anybody looking to use VA and go to Stacy. Absolutely top notch. And I don't know how you accomplish that. I have something, probably something to do with the boot camp you put them through. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, here at Summit, um, when we opened the doors, um, we kind of knew what we wanted to teach. Most VA companies will you know, run, run uh, folks through you know, a one to two to three minute interview process and then say, go to our website, watch these 10 YouTube videos and answer these three questions on each one. You get them right, we'll call you trained and certified. Here at Summit, we actually put all of our VAs through 160 hours of live classroom training. And on top of that, um, if they're ever late for, uh, or for training and they, um, other than the death of a family member, they're immediately dropped from our program. If they ever score less than 90 on any quiz or exam, they're immediately dropped from the program. So we will typically start with 200 applicants and end up graduating only about 30 of them after they've gone through the interview process and then the training. Wow, that's good yeah. stuff. So that's something to do with the Marine background, I'm not gonna assume. <laughs> maybe a little bit. <laughs> maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. I can relate. I mean, you know, the Marines okay. is a department of the Navy. It's the men's department, so that's a yes. good thing. <laughs> so. Well, somebody has to drive the boat. <laughs> Right, right. So, no, that's that's. I think that's. I think that's key. Like you said, there's a lot of VA companies out there. I mean, there's a ton, but the actual training and that that filtering process is key to getting quality VAs. Right. Um, you know, all of our VAs walk in the door. They're all college educated. They've been background checked before we ever talk to them. Um, they've taken the DISC testing, which is nothing more than a personality profile exam. Um, and then they go through four interviews with four managers, and those managers then sit down and have to argue with each other 
to decide who they're going to allow into the training program. Um, and then once they do that, then my chief operations officer will, her name is Bernadette Canero. Um, she's tougher than any Marine Corps drill sergeant. Uh, but oh, I, I, know, I know Bernadette. I know Bernadette. She is harder <laughs> than. <laughs> she, is not, she is not a woman to be crossed. I promise you that. <laughs> No, no. So, Fortunately, uh, for some reason, she has taken a shine to me, and I get the, a smile every now and then. I think I'm fortunate one. So. Oh yeah, oh you're you're one of the favorites. <laughs> one yeah. of the one of the few. <laughs> yeah. You should see the clients she doesn't like. <laughs> oh, God, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. I'm gonna have to stop by the Philippines after I get done with my little world tour here. Oh yeah. Um, she's up in Baguio, um, which is uh, about four hours north of Manila. Um, let her know she's coming, and we will roll out the red carpet of hospitality for you. I think I plan on getting through the Philippines. Like, I don't really have a schedule. You know, we were talking about this before we before we started yeah. recording. I mean, I'm in Spain right now, and it's, uh, you know, you got the challenges, the the, the power outlets, the, the everything, you name it. But... I plan on hitting Southeast Asia next and the Philippines real high on my list. So if that happens, I'm going to, I definitely, I, I, and I told her that if I got through the Philippines, I would stop in Baguio and say hi. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, let her know and she will, she'll put you up. Uh, they've got a, we've got a really nice hotel we stay in in Baguio. Um, really unique. Um, it's kind of like the old um, embassy suites. Where you know it's wide open in the middle, but the difference okay. is it's literally wide open. I mean they they don't have they have glass doors that slide down, but 99% of the time those doors are up and birds are flying through. And I mean you figure that right now it's it's close to probably 90 95 down in Manila, up in yeah. Baguio. She's complaining they're having a heat wave. It's it's a whopping 63 there yesterday. <laughs> Oh and she's wearing shorts and a t-shirt and complaining that it's hot. Oh. <laughs> it's 101 in Houston. Yeah, yeah, I think it's about 96 or something here in Marbella. It's hot and humid right now, so. Oh, yeah. Having a little bit of a heat wave here in Europe. Yeah. Well, so. you know, it's that time of the year for everybody. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Bernadette... Bernadette is hard, but I mean, that, that helps with the quality because they don't, she doesn't take any shit, first of all, yeah. oh, absolutely. from VAs or clients. But that's one of the, one of the huge advantages too. There's a couple of things that I really liked about some of VA solutions was one, you're in Texas, so it's an American based company, but you've got Bernadette running things on the ground in the Philippines. So it's not, you're not just dealing with somebody who's a country away. You're dealing with an Americanized company but based in the Philippines. Well, yeah, an Americanized company with operations in the PI um, and a uh, matter of fact, my entire team is in the Philippines. The other thing about Summit, about 97, 98% of our VAs are all personal referrals from VAs who already work here. So okay. there is never a situation, you know, like 2% of the time that we don't personally know the person working for the company um, and you know we can literally go and knock on their door and go hey what's going on 
because yeah. most of them um, <laughs> all live in Baguio, and it's not that big a town. Um, you know, the other nice thing is, and most people don't realize this, but most VA companies are chartered offshore somewhere, but they're not in the Philippines. Maybe they're managers or, you know, here in the U.S. or wherever. We actually own a Philippine corporation. And the purpose of that is if there was ever an issue, and not that we've ever had one, but we have the ability to bring the full weight of the Philippine government down on somebody. Um, you know, most of these VA companies, you don't know, is that really their name? Is that really their email address? Is that really their home address? You know, you if something were to happen, and in the early years of VAs, it was quite common that, you know, a VA would get a job and go in and steal an entire database. And, you know, we've never had anything like that happen with us. Um, and most of the bigger companies, um, I know most of the presidents of those companies, and, you know, they haven't had any issues. Um, President Duterte, who uh, is, who just left office, made the rules around stealing confidential information so severe that they, it's not worth the crime. Um, the Philippines used to have that bad reputation of don't send anything there, you'll lose it. Um, the penalty now for stealing a single piece of confidential information is a minimum of three years in prison and roughly the equivalent of two years worth of your income. And if your family doesn't bring you food in prison that day, you don't eat. So it's it's not like uh, no, no. I, I, Philippines prison is something I am put on my checklist of things to avoid. Yeah, it, it's not a tourist attraction. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I like being in touch with the culture, but that's a part of the culture I'm probably just going to skip because that's uh, it's similar to Mexico prison, I think, because it's it's sort of the same thing. If your friends and family don't bring you something to eat, yeah. and in Mexico something for the guard, yeah, you're not going to eat that day. Yeah, um, you know, the Philippines, so I've been going back and forth because um, I've had VAs now working with me, uh, Bernadette and Cecile in particular. I've been going back and forth for the last 13 years. Wow. And when I first started going over, my insurance company required me to carry an, a basically a kidnap policy um, because one of their big industries was kidnapping middle-aged, fat, balding white guys. And, you know, ransoming, ransoming, ransoming them for money and not, not returning the body. Um, or you'd get like wow. 40% of the body back, you know, <laughs> after you paid the bill. Not a good deal. No. Today, President Duterte came in about six and a half years ago with the, you know, political promise to clean up the Philippines. Today, I walk around Manila. Um, it used to be I had to have armed security with me when any time I left uh, my the hotel property. Today, I can go pretty much anywhere I want in Manila, and it's like any major metropolitan city. There are places you're not going to go, you know, period. I mean, there's places in Houston I won't go. Um, Manila's the same way now, and when I go to Baguio, um, I have shit. I'm out walking the streets at two o'clock in the morning just because of jet lag and never had a problem or anything. <laughs> just 
wandering around looking for coffee. <laughs> yeah. So that's now okay. I heard Duarte was just harsh, especially on the drugs, like shoot first, ask questions later type of thing. And a lot of people kind of gave him shit for that. But like you said, over the last six years, things have changed in the Philippines quite a bit. Oh, immensely. It's it's a hundred and eighty degree turnaround. And you know the really fun thing was is American news versus what reality is is mm-hmm. such a different thing because like everything you know, else yeah oh yeah like everything else if you actually pull up the numbers the government police forces um, that were battling the drug dealers actually only killed 56 people across the country if you listen to US news I mean they were gunning people down in the streets right and left And in reality, what it was, was drug organizations trying to come in and fight for the vacuum that was left when somebody got pulled out. And so you had rival gangs or rival organizations trying to pick up that business. Um, He he is a no-nonsense guy. Um, His daughter is currently the vice president of of the country. Um, okay. One of the uh, Amelia Marcos, the woman with 10 million shoes, her yeah. son, the current president, um, and they're leaving and they're not changing a lot of the laws that Duterte put in position. And okay, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like he he just got um, he just left office, so they bring in the new one. Does it look like there's going to be much change, or are they going to continue the same policies? No, they're going to continue the same policies. It looks like. Um, okay. Marcos came in <clears throat> and uh, I think they call him Bam Bam. Um, he came in, he's pretty well leaving everything, <laughs> I know, <laughs> pretty well leaving everything the way it is. And the, the power structure right now, it appears that Duterte's daughter, who's now the vice president, will become the president in six years when Bam Bam's out of office. Okay, so it looks like they're going to kind of continue that same. Exactly. How are the, like, the Filipinos themselves, like the people, how do they perceive the government and all the changes that have come in through the last, you know, six years? You know, I I don't know anybody who has not been happy with what he did in their country. Um, That's good. You know, and we've got, we've got VAs that are, that were not for Duterte. I mean, um you know, you figure you're talking about a country that's made up of 7,000 little teeny tiny islands. And so, you know, the regional governor will actually run for president. And, you know, the, this group of islands will all vote for him because they know him. And, you know, they don't have the mass communication like we have here in the United States. As a matter of fact, they don't even, they don't even all speak the same dialect. Right. Um, so, you, you know, if you, you know, Bernadette can actually not understand some people from the southern islands because they don't speak the same dialect. Um, to, Still to Tagalog, God, but different yeah. dialect. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, they that's kind of the center point. But everybody, you know, who I've spoken to on both sides of the fence have been very, very happy with what Duterte did when he came through and cleaned everything up. Um, it worked out really well. Well, it seems like it'd be a benefit for everybody. And that's the thing, regardless of politics. You know, and, and, you know, when you say that 
there's so many different dialects spoken and they don't have that mass communication. That also means they don't have the mass propaganda. Exactly. Yep. You don't, so, you don't, get, that, you don't get that across the country like you do here in the States. Right. Right. You, it's you just, it's, it's so pervasive here. Yeah. Oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's yeah, horrible. But, it's horrible. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, that's good. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna definitely gonna add Philippines as a. Month. I don't really have a plan. Yeah. I'll, I'll be in Thailand next week, and that's as far as I know about anything. <laughs> so, I, I, I have a. I have an idea in my head. I'm probably gonna go to Vietnam after that, but I, yeah. it's who knows. Who knows? Yeah. You know, it's a toss up. You're a world traveler. Yeah. Well, whatever I can find good internet. So one thing about here, with all the issues I've had, the internet speed is still running at 500 up and 300 down. So. Yeah can't beat it no no it's absolutely you'll find fantastic the same thing and you'll find the same thing in uh in the philippines um you know you consider that call centers and outsourcing or vas are the second fastest growing segment of their economy one of Duterte's initiatives was he went in and improved the infrastructure for the internet in the philippines i mean bernadette oh. lives clear up in the mountains you know, four hours north of Manila by bus, and she has fiber optic cable. Um, okay. And it's like so fast. Wow. Oh yeah, I mean, if there's a problem with the internet, it's typically on my side and not theirs. <laughs> right. Well, you know, when we were when we were doing um, when I was using, there was I think there was a point where we had four of your VAs on staff, mm -hmm. and never had a single issue. The only issue we ever had was hurricanes. <laughs> That was, you know, it happens. It's, <laughs> you know? it's not a hurricane. It's a typhoon. <laughs> right, right. That side of the world's typhoon. But yeah, during typhoon season, every once in a while, we get that text from Gliza like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On Thursday, Typhoon Mary will be coming through. Yeah, All right. The nice, thing, the nice thing is, is, you know, in our training, what we do is, you know, tell the VA, you know, it's just like a hurricane. You know it's coming. Um, you know, in the Philippines, it hardly even slows down because it's just a, once again, an accumulation of a bunch of small islands. So it usually passes right. over in a day, but yeah, it so it doesn't grab over. and stay like it does in Houston or something. Yeah, like it that. doesn't sit here and flood the city. But you know, the thing is, is it passes over doing 220 miles an hour. Um, and in a country where, you know, half the houses are made out of concrete and the other half are made out of corrugated metal. And corrugated metal doesn't stand up to 220 miles very well. No. I'm surprised there's any corrugated metal left. <laughs> I mean, it's not hard to find your roof. It's just two blocks over and down a block. If you're lucky, it might be you know next island over. <laughs> That's possible too. You know, it happens. It happens. Yeah. Hey, have you ever been? Um, have you ever been to Cebu City or Lapu Lapu? Uh, never Lapu Lapu and uh, Cebu. Um, I typically do not go farther south than Palawan. Okay. Um, the reason being is if you go on to the U.S. Department of Interior, yada, yada, travel advisories, um, yeah. keep in mind that the Philippines has, has always been a Muslim country. Right. Um, and they do have, um, and typically it's the southern islands, um, they do have radical Muslims, um, you know, where middle-aged, fat, balding, white guy would be quite a catch. 
Um, mm. And so, you know, there are, once again, there are places that, you know, you should not go and whip out that blue USA passport. Um, right. And so typically I don't go that far south. Um, you know, my, because I own the company, um, you know, my insurance company has a lot to do with dictating where I can and cannot go. Uh, oh, and that's one of the no-go zones if you go like say wow okay because i've been doing some research i know same as much a more of a beach city and lapa lapa is an island so but from what i can tell and you know once again you take what you find online with a grain of salt but a lot of the different you know digital nomad sites and stuff like that uh they kind of like that and i have a friend of mine he's more of a surfer guy but he likes he likes that area yeah i you know i would tell you go down and take a look um cecile who you know uh lives in Cebu and so okay. yeah I you know you're you're not you're not dictated to like I am um you know she right. will if you'll let her know she's coming she'll make sure you're taken care of okay um, okay and so yeah that's one of the things about the Filipinos you know if they have a friend coming to town you are covered. They will. They'll make sure you have car service and a nice hotel, and you're not you're not staying in you know some scary ass place. And you know right. they'll show you around. They they are the most you know open hearted, warm, caring people um, that you'll probably ever meet. And you know yeah. they they may not have a lot, but what they have, they are more than happy to share with you. Yeah. Now that's what I found about. All, everybody I've dealt with that's you know, Filipino is incredibly warm people. So that's definitely on the list. But um, let's 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 back up just a little bit because this is this podcast is about mindset. So <laughs> you know, uh, one of the reasons that I did want to talk to you is I know we have a, a somewhat we have a similar background in that we were both military. Other than that, I don't know much about your background, but I like to dig into you know I, I don't imagine you came from a rich family or anything. Nope. Nope. Okay. So how long were you in the military? Well, you know, my military experience was one through a division of DOD. I was assigned okay. to the United States Marine Corps. I was a civilian that carried military rank. Oh, interesting. So okay. I reported to a three star and a full bird colonel. Yeah. <laughs> that's if you're going to report to somebody that's better than you know, a staff sergeant down the road. <laughs> Yeah, and the day I and the day I reported, I mean, I had come in on a flight at two a.m. and was due to be in the general's office at like eight. I was like, oh my god, you know. By the time I settled in, I'd had about three hours of sleep, and I was jet lagged as all get out. And I reported, I'll never forget it. I was in a pair of khaki pants, a pink dress shirt, a flower tie, and brown leather clogs. <laughs> So the general and the, and the uh, colonel are interviewing me, and we're sitting there chatting. And he said, Mr. Sutter, um, your attire? <laughs> I said, I'm trying to fit in with the indigenous population, sir. <laughs> and after they figured where, out where, where, where was this? Okinawa, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> And after they well, if, if nothing else, you know, if nothing else, you know how to make an impression. So, 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and the truth be told, that was the only thing that was, that was the least wrinkled thing in my bag. <laughs> I, guess I sure, I sure as hell wasn't going to get up and start ironing at 0600 because that wasn't going to happen. But no. um, yeah, once they figured out that I wasn't gay, we became quite good <laughs> friends and we might have been known to tip back a beer or, or a scotch or nine or <laughs> or something. Um, yeah, numbers are arbitrary. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just a number. Uh, yeah, it's just numbers. You know, the, the funny part is is that uh, I had taken that job. I, at that time in my life, I was a raging alcoholic. Um, oh, wow. And so um, as part of my because I did not speak Marine Corps because everything's an acronym. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I hired a retired master gunnery sergeant as my admin because he spoke Marine Corps and knew how to get shit done. And, uh, you know, he he happened to be a 12-stepper. And uh, he would come in every morning, and I'd come in just dragging, right, because I'd been a hard night out. And he'd he'd come in and he'd say, uh, are you ready? And I'd say, ready for what? And he goes, ah, if you don't know what you're ready for, then you're not ready. And he'd turn around and walk away. This went on for like six weeks, and I finally told him, I said, look, dude, if you don't, uh, you don't tell me what the hell you're talking about, I'm going to fire you because I'm pissed. And uh, <laughs> he took me to my first AA meeting on base, um, and I took my first 24-hour trip, uh, chip got on an airplane the next day for the U.S., and by the time we landed, there was not an imported beer or scotch left on that plane. <laughs> Involuntarily <laughs> dry. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was just it was a brief moment. Um, by the, uh, so I came back to Okinawa and uh, kind of dodged him for about a week. We had to come clean. We went out on the jetty, threw my 24-hour chip in the ocean. He told me it was uh, that one was defective, and uh, <laughs> we'll start this over. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do a reset, hit the big red button. Yeah, we're gonna call that a mulligan, uh, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So I got my next 24-hour chip, and uh, that will be uh, 24 years ago this coming uh, November. November 15th is my AA birthday. So I've been sober now for 24 years. And, you know, it's uh, life. Life did 180 degrees. And, uh, you know, I, I figure that, you know, a higher power puts people in front of you for a purpose. And uh, he wasn't done with me yet. And so he, you know, I was headed to jail or I was going to be dead, one or the other. Because, I mean, I was tore up. I mean, I've, I've been woken up by the Japanese police banging on my car window <laughs> because my head was on the horn and I had passed out in the driver's seat in my own parking spot. <laughs> At least you found your parking spot. Yeah. And then I had to crawl up three flights of stairs to prove to them that this I really did live in this building. <laughs> All I can say is thank God the damn key fit because I had no idea where the hell I was. <laughs> oh. Horrible. Um, you know, after that, came back stateside sober a year later, um, got into the real estate world, um, you know, met some great, phenomenal mentors who were willing to take, you know, this hard-headed, stubborn kid 
I'm all of 32, 33 years old. I think that's when most guys start to grow up. Uh, that's about when I started. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny yeah. enough, I got into real estate at that about 30, I think, too. <laughs> you know, so um, had some great mentors. Uh, was in Bakersfield, California. Um, I'm so sorry. And go, well, you know, it's a great place to stop for gas if you're going between San Francisco and L.A. <laughs> but it was yeah, a there's a place. Starbucks there and a gas station. And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> what more could you want? <laughs> right. Caffeine and some fuel just to get out of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time I, I met my wife. Um, she and I met there. And she was in on an oil field project for a company, and she was a guest in the hotel I was working in <laughs> as a bar manager in sobriety. <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's just interesting. Let's just really go ahead and tempt you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You couldn't put yourself in a worse position. <laughs> I know. I know. And uh, so anyway. Um, learned how to sell uh, foreclosed homes from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, grew that into a little business. Did $5 million my first year in real estate. And uh, then she came home one day and said, hey, <laughs> Halliburton is moving me home to Houston. And I was like, you have a nice trip because I ain't going back to Houston. I grew up here and there's no way. And she'll tell you to this day that she wasn't really sure I was going to show up until I pulled into the driveway with my 17-foot canoe strapped to the roof of my Mitsubishi Montero <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, came to Houston, you know, not knowing, you know, all of my friends were gone. I mean, I had graduated high school here and um, I grew up in the oil industry and uh, so didn't really know anybody started a HUD foreclosure sales company that led me into working with a guy who was getting out of the REO or foreclosure world. And uh, I ultimately ended up working a deal where I bought his company when he retired. We grew that into one of the 10 largest REO companies in the United States. Um, and, you know, Bernadette and Cecile uh, came in in the last six years of that, Bernadette streamlined operations because, as you know, she's an industrial engineer. Cecile's a computer engineer, and, you know, they, they got shit squared away, and we went from doing 150 deals to 350 deals a year, and that was before there were really big teams. We had a team of 27. Um, and then when the REO world kind of crashed and burned, um, I, I was exhausted because I had been going at it at 100 miles an hour since 99. Now we're talking it's like 2017, 2018. Um, we screwed around for about a year. I, I didn't want the girls to have to go find a new client and start over from scratch. And we're too good a team together, honestly. So I basically paid them for a year to be my friends. <laughs> Um, we opened a property management company for Brookshire Hathaway here in Houston. And then, uh, you know, we decided, you know, maybe this VA thing is something we should look into. So we literally started Summit with $6,000.
Um, I mean, that was it. Um, started out of out of my bedroom. Then I built a tool shed in my own backyard that was eight by twelve, and that was the corporate headquarters for Summit VA Solutions. <laughs> I could go like this and almost touch both sides of the walls. <laughs> like, got it. Yeah, just, hey. just me. Just, just me. I mean, I know I have friends who ha whose wives have bigger walk-in closets than my office was. <laughs> it's efficient, Stacy. It's efficiency. Yes, efficiency. Yes, we were always very efficient. I never had to get out of my chair. Everything was within reach. Everything. <laughs> Everything, literally. <laughs> and um, you know, then a couple of years ago. Um, during COVID, uh, we, we ended up building the building we're in now, uh, we, because of where I live, I live in the old historic district here in Houston. Um, oh. we, uh, we have a 10,000 square foot lot on a corner. So oh, okay. we built a 1500 square foot garage and put 1500 square feet of office space above it. So oh, okay. my wife in the oil industry works over there, <laughs> and then I have my office here. Uh, okay, so you're in that office right now. Yeah, and, cool. just, and just for so you know, that door right there, the glass pane, that's the mm -hmm. door to the walk-in humidor. <laughs> <laughs> I still have yet to come down there and smoke a cigar with you. We're either gonna meet there or Cuba, one of the two. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. You got a yep. walk-in humidor. I am so I'm like really jealous right now. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it'd be tough for me to have a walk-in humidor since essentially I'm homeless right now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you may just want to stay with a travel box and uh, yeah, yeah, those little little pouch things. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I, I don't know what the cigar situation is like in Southeast Asia, but. It's pretty rough, and you're going to pay a premium. Uh, uh, wonderful. If you're in the Philippines, they do have a uh, they do have a Philippine cigar that built, manufactured, grown, processed, and manufactured there. Okay. Don't smoke. No. <laughs> okay. Forewarned is forearmed. That's right. <laughs> Call me, I will ship you a box. <laughs> they take you up on that too. Oh, oh I may be coming back to the. I may be coming back to this. This well, that side of the world shortly. I don't know what side of the world I'm in. I can see the Mediterranean right out my window though. So. Oh, uh, I'm jealous. Yeah, I. Uh, Do you dive? No, I don't. I've got a sneaking suspicion that. Um, I've got perforated eardrums, uh -huh. and I think that has to do with my time in the military, lots of big explosions and things like that. But anything, anytime I, like in Mexico, I did a lot of snorkeling when I was around Playa del Carmen, Cancun, Cozumel. I did a lot of snorkeling. It's wonderful there. But anytime I go down, even just eight, 10 feet, I mean, it would just, it would hurt. And then like when I get done, I remember one time I was bringing my gear back to the car and water just started pouring out of my mouth and nose. And you know, everybody's like, oh, it's just a matter of clearing your ears. I'm like, no, it's not exactly that with me. It's it's something something different because it, the water gets into my head. Yeah. Uh, and I don't brain. know what the cure to that is. Yeah. yeah, I don't think scuba diving is is uh, on my list. It's something I would love to do. I got friends, they just did deep water certification. while They went down, what, 80, 90 feet, something like that in Thailand. 
But uh, yeah, like eight eight feet messes me up. I don't think eighty feet would do me any favors. No, we would be dragging so, you back up off the bottom. <laughs> you would not. Yeah, be yeah. No, no. And that's really sad too because I've been to a lot of different places that have just amazing scuba diving too, and something yeah. that. I would love to do. I just don't think it's in the books. Yeah, Club Paradise in Palawan. If while you're in the Philippines, it's worth the two or three days. It's a private island. Staff ratios like three three staff members to a guest. Um, great food. You have to take a boat to get out to it. The only thing there is their resort. Um, they do have these giant Gila monster looking lizards that are about eight foot long and stand about three and a half, four foot tall. <laughs> well, they're not Komodo long. dragons, right? They are. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and stay away from those too. I, I don't mind looking at them from a, a safe distance, but they can move. Oh yeah, they're fast. I was, they're fast. I was walking down the little trail back to my bungalow and I'm hearing this like <laughs> behind me. And I turned around and Here's this giant ass lizard just walking behind me. He's having a good day, <laughs> sitting on the beach. They come swimming out of the water. I'm like, holy crap! Not only can they run fast, they can also swim. You got to be kidding me. Uh, uh, <laughs> Things are magical. <laughs> yeah, it's like holy shit. <laughs> and their uh, bite is incredibly venomous, right? Well, it's um, they don't kill things. They bite it two or three times, and they have so much bacteria in their mouth that it ultimately it ultimately kills you. You die of bacterial infection. Then they come back and eat the rotted meat. And it's like, oh god, oh. yeah. So yeah, I can think of better ways to go. Yeah, I can too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's on. And I always pronounced it Palawan, but that's not correct, is it? It's Palawan. Palawan. Okay, so Palawan. Yeah, because that's not my list of places to go. I mean, it looks absolutely beautiful. I haven't been there. But the beaches look just uh, amazing. Pure white, powder soft sand, crystal clear water. Everybody is super nice. Um, I've been I may not leave. Is... You, you might not. Um, you know, Club Paradise, which is where I typically will go to dive in Palawan, um, they just do an amazing job for you. They, I mean, I, I was over there one year and I caught the flu and I had oh. this little tiny hammock on my front porch of my bungalow. And so I was just so sick. I had a comforter in my hammock, my pillows and a sheet over me and I was sleeping on the porch and the staff would come by at least once an hour to make sure I had food, did I need water, did I need something to drink. They have a doctor on the island who prescribed me some antibiotics. They didn't have a lot, but you know, we'll give you what we have. We got um, something. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, I don't get this kind of service in the US. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. not to mention, if you gotta be sick, being sick in a hammock is better than Oh yeah. In a Looking bed over somewhere. Crystal, yeah. clear, crystal clear blue water, a reef, and white sandy beaches with palm trees. Yeah, if you're going to be sick, be sick there. <laughs> yeah, be sick there. Because you're going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's still going to be there. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't... Uh, if, I, if I find a place down there with Wi-Fi and it's like that, I'm going to have a big time trouble pulling up stakes and moving on. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, and... and 
the the weird thing about the Philippines is, you know, so you have Palawan, you know, blue water, yeah. white sandy beaches, sunny. And that's kind of what you think the image of the Philippines is. But when right, you that's... go to Baguio, yeah, you know, desert island in the middle of the, over there in the middle of the Pacific in the, in the East China Sea. Right. But when you go to Baguio, they're at the same altitude as Denver, Colorado, but close yeah. enough to the equator that they don't get snow. So right. in the wintertime, it may get down into the mid-30s. But in the summertime, it doesn't really get over like 67 degrees. And there's all these pine trees and rivers and, you know, kind of, you know, piney tropical forest. It's, it's a very odd place. Um, I love going. And it's considered the summer capital of the Philippines because, you know, all the people from Manila will go to Baguio on vacation or, you know, just to get out of the heat for the weekend um, and so, you know, it's a great town, but you go, really? I'm in the Philippines. There's like pine trees and running water and <laughs> more like Flagstaff, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, that surprised me because I actually ended up becoming pretty good friends with some of the VAs that I got through mm -hmm. you. Like Gliza is still, still doctor. She's stateside now, but yeah, she would, Oh, this is going on. And I'm like, you're in the Philippines, right? Like, <laughs> Well, it just didn't make sense to me. But and then and the, the funniest thing was too, because obviously when they were working, it was on our time, so they were working like eleven at night to seven in the morning. Right. And uh, right about toward the end of the afternoon, if I was talking to her or something, I'd hear the the roosters going. <laughs> yeah. I'm like what? Is is that chickens? She's like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm like, don't apologize. I'm actually, it's like she's like, yeah. My dad has a lot of big roosters. <laughs> yeah. The, well, you know, I always laugh. Um, so on my computer, when I'm talking to Bernadette, at four o'clock in the afternoon, it's like 5 a.m. in the Philippines, and that's when the yep. roosters wake up, and that's how I yep. know I have an hour left in my day <laughs> when the roosters start, because you know, it's like the guy behind her has, in the Philippines, uh, cockfighting is still legal. Yep. Um, so he's got like an entire farm of these roosters for cockfighting and, you know, they go off at four o'clock on the dot every afternoon. It's like, yep. got an hour left. <laughs> yep. When I was in Vegas and Phoenix, that was about four o'clock our time. It was the same thing. It was like clockwork. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I would give her so much shit about it. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I used to give Bernadette grief all the time. Now I, now I don't even hear them hardly. It's like. Right. Oh, chickens. Yeah. It's more like just hey, almost done with work, so yeah. roosters are going off. And for them, it's we like have, that. Like, oh, we have an hour left. <laughs> Get everything done. <laughs> it's amazing. I actually, I loved hearing that. I don't know why. It was just, it was so funny to me. But at the same time, I was like, because oh, I think, I think Gliza's dad did. I think he had a couple of roosters that he did cockfighting with too. But yeah, they were just on point every single afternoon for us. Yeah. Yep. Same here. You gotta love it, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know I I encourage most Americans. Um, you and I, we've had the opportunity to travel in different parts of the world. Um, I I find it interesting that most Americans never leave the United States. Um, you know, in Europe, yeah, 
in Europe, it's like the northeast part of the U.S. I mean, you can drive for two hours and have gone through four states. In Europe, you drive two hours, you've gone through four countries. Yep. Um, you know, most Americans don't realize how the rest of the world lives. Um, right. And you know, we're always we're always laughing in my office. You know, a, a client will call and they'll have this this problem and it's massive and you know, get off the call with them and go, yeah, first world problems. <laughs> you know? My my computer exactly. shut down and I don't know how to restart it. <laughs> it's like, I know, I know. Like, like me with my little light burned out here, I was like, oh, that's right, the power supply is different here in Spain. Yeah, that's the most first world problem ever. I'm like really yeah. bummed. I'm like, what am I? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, Wait, wait till you get to Vietnam and you have to use one of the restrooms. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. It's a whole Japan as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, Japan is a lot of fun because Japan have has um, toilets that will take you 35 minutes to figure out how to flush it. So um, all digital computer, bidet, automatic, um, you know, settings, heated seat, lights. <laughs> I feel like it could be. I feel like it could be a disaster if you hit the wrong button. I just. Oh, I didn't. It could be. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those deals where I'm like, uh, Cecile. Um, yes, I know you're a computer engineer. I can't flush the toilet. How do I do this? <laughs> do, you, do you remember the that movie Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipe? Yeah. The three seashells. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be me. They're going to be like, he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Uh, you, know, you go to you go visit Vietnam and you get outside of the major cities. You go into a train station to use the restroom. You know, strangest thing I ever saw. There is no him and her restrooms. It's just huh. a concrete floor with five holes. And, you know, I'm like, okay, my thighs are burning and I can't stay here much longer. Otherwise, I'm going to fall into this hole. <laughs> yeah, now you got the image. <laughs> and you turn to your yep, right. Yeah, it took a second. It took a second, but it hit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And you turn to your right and there's some, like, 85-year-old toothless someone's grandmother with her skirt hiked up, and she just smiles at you and waves, and I'm like, oh, God. I, We're know, not in Kansas I, anymore, Toto. Yeah, that's right. You are definitely not in Kansas. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, that's one thing that I want to do, too. I want to um, – I've got a friend of mine who lives in Saigon, and she said – she was telling me about flower season in North Vietnam up by Hanoi, mm -hmm. but – I might take a tour up through there. I think I'm probably going to hit there a little bit toward the end of the year and take a little bit yeah. of a tour of both south to the Da Nang and then up Da Nang and up through uh, like Hanoi, yeah. stuff like that, It'll depending be, on the visa situation. and Yeah. Um, you know, that is one of the nice things about having that blue U.S. passport is there's a lot of places in the world we can travel, you know, that you don't really yeah. have to worry about that visa issue or they issue it to you as you come into their country. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Most of the places, most of the places you can get pretty much automatic entry. Um, mm -hmm. The the problem I'm having like with Thailand is like extended stay. Vietnam too. 30 days, 
no problem. Yeah. Want to stay a little bit longer than that, then it then it starts becoming some red tape and things like that. But fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, there's usually somebody that you can pay. Well, yeah. Um, you know, what we used to do um, would be go stay in Vietnam for 30 days, keep our room, and literally fly to, let's say, Cambodia, right. spend the weekend in Cambodia, turn around, come back in, and you're good for another 30 days. Right. You okay. Know, and that way you don't have to move hotels. You don't have to, you don't have to pay somebody. Um, right. And you know, you've got new entry stamped and so you're good to roll. Okay. So that's, that's how Vietnam is. 30 days is like, as long as you're out, you can come back in for another 30. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mexico is that same way. It's like six months though. I managed to live in Mexico six or uh, six years, six out of about the last 10 years. And yeah, it was just a matter of, I was go, usually going out and going home or doing something anyway, so it never really was an issue. So, but 30 days, that's a little bit, that's a little bit shorter time, obviously, a little bit quicker. Yeah, but once again, like the northeast part of the United States, you're, you're an hour flight from Cambodia, you know, you're yeah. an hour flight from, two hour flight from Burma, um, you know, you can, you can use Vietnam as a hub and come and go and go see other countries to take care of the visa right. issue and still get to see more. That's what I was going to do with Thailand, but I think they're 30 days in a, or you, know, you can do an extension 30 to 60 days in any calendar year. Oh, okay. Uh, but I've got to dig into that a little bit more, but I have no problem bouncing out around because there's a lot of stuff in Cambodia that I want to see and, mm-hmm. you know, Angkor Wat's there and things like that. So yeah, and absolutely. Adam Long and Sihanoukville's got some amazing beaches. So yeah. The only problem with Cambodia, you can basically stay as long as you want. You should have to go there once a month and be like, hey, I want to stay longer. They're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? They're just happy to have you there. Sure. Yeah, let's say. But the problem there is obviously the internet is not at the same level as some of the neighboring countries. So yeah. doing this it would be a little bit more challenging, but probably impossible to get a truly high feet or high definition stream going. Um, but, yeah. Um, what you can do and what I found in Southeast Asia is check into a very expensive hotel okay. um, and they will typically boost their internet. Um, they will they will have high speed internet, but you know, oh, it may okay. cost you a, a it may cost you you know fifty sixty thousand baht. Or what's that like four dollars <laughs> <laughs> for the presidential suite in Thailand? I'm you know <laughs> right. Well, Thailand, Thailand's easy. Their infrastructure is really good. Like I, yeah. I just I was like even even going Airbnb, like not even going and renting, but even going Airbnb, you can find great places there with certified fast Wi-Fi. They're there mm-hmm. for four hundred bucks a month. It's just a great place to get to go explore and play. Um, I lived in Japan for two years and used Okinawa as my jump off point um, <clears throat> and got to roam all over Southeast Asia. Um, you know, I, I don't know the current situation, but if you get to go to Taipei, Taiwan, absolutely mm-hmm. take the trip. You, know, you can okay. hire a cab for the entire day for like 20 bucks. Um, and they will, they'll take you anywhere to anything. I mean, I just told the guy, I said, look, you know, I've got one day and I want to see temples. I want to see the, the tomb of Shanghai Shek. Um, you know, that's where, that's where I learned about grass ninjas. Do you learn about what? Grass ninjas. 
So okay. at the tomb of, of Shanghai Shek, there's this massive field, probably the equivalent of three U.S. football fields in front of his tomb. And there's these ladies, we called them grass ninjas. They've got the coolie hat, sunglasses, their whole face is wrapped. Then they've got four or five layers of clothes, gloves, um, you know, leggings under their dress, socks and shoes, right? They look like a pile of clothes. They look like a pile of dirty laundry sitting out on the yard. And what are they doing? They are cutting grass with a pair of cuticle scissors in this massive field. And that's what they do every day. They just go out there, sit down and start cutting grass with cuticle scissors. And it is perfect. Wow. Not even big scissors. No, just like they're about that big. <laughs> because, you know. So the grass so. is perfect. <clears throat> Absolutely. <laughs> it's green. It's lush. You just have to step over the grass ninjas. Wow. No. Yeah, okay, I got to go then. Oh, I yeah. need a grass ninja in my life. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, the Buddhist temples there are very, very nice. Um, you know. As with any religion, be very um, be very polite and very discreet. Um, oh, but you know, if you see a Buddhist monk, um, if he speaks English, and most of them surprisingly in Thailand do, or I'm yeah. sorry, not Thailand in uh, uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Taipei. Um, they will, for a very small donation, um, they will give you a tour of their temple. And you know, oh, wow. it's it's amazing. It truly is. Um, yeah, you know, no, I, I definitely want to do that. And that's the it's an amazing thing too. It's so cheap because I did something similar to you when I was I was in Colombia for three weeks. Mm -hmm. And one day I just hired a cabbie. I'm like, I'm just going to pay for the day. Yep. I want you to take me to every place I need to see in Cartagena, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I want you to take photos of me and entertain me with stories. <laughs> <laughs> For $25. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like 25 bucks or something. I got Castillo San Felipe, Zapatos de Viejo, like everything. And I got to see everything there was in Cartagena from the Wall City to out and everything else for 25, 30 bucks. Yeah. And, and he you was probably happy. bought lunch. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Paid lunch as, a, as a Benny and hey, we were good to go. And he yep. worshiped yep. and you walked on and you were safe. <laughs> Yeah, I was safe. I got to see all the good stuff, and yeah, it was it was a cool. so I'm probably gonna do a couple day tours like that. Just hire somebody to bring me by the different cities I'm at anyway. Yeah. But uh, that's interesting in Taipei. I've never never really considered that as a destination, but now it's on the list. Yeah, it's uh, you know it has a really happen in nightlife. Um, you will think really? you're. I mean, it's it's. You know, when you think of Asian neon lit streets with all the clubs and everything, kind of like Thailand, mm -hmm. uh, Taipei is that same way. It's got that it's got that district, and I mean, they have a pumping nightlife. I wonder how that'd be right now with uh, the current geopolitical yeah. stuff going on. I wonder if uh, Americans entering Thailand, or I mean, I'm sorry, China, would be a little bit more difficult or risky. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I would try to get into China. Uh, like mainland. Taipei is Taiwan. And yeah, it's just across the water. Um, you know, I was in Hong Kong two years ago, and everything was fine in Hong Kong. Uh, so, you know, and that's not a big deal. But, 
you know, Taipei, it's been, it's been a long time since I've been there, but it was, it's a really, it's a really interesting culture because on one foot, you've got the Americanized party scene and everything. Right. But then on the other side, you have this very quiet, demure Buddhist religion. Um, right. And, you know, it's kind of like, wow, you're like in two different worlds. Um, Complete contrast. Each one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's really quite interesting. Um, I found Buddhism to be to be really interesting. Um, and, you know, don't know enough about it, but there's some great things to go see. Yeah, and that's me. I'm not necessarily religious. If I was to tend toward any sort of organized religion, it would probably be Buddhism. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that's more of a... I find a lot of the, the Buddhist philosophies mirror a lot of the Stoic philosophies. Yeah. And yeah. that's something that appeals to me anyway, so... Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, do nice things, be polite... You know, the rules that we should follow in our everyday life anyway. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem to be that difficult. It is, it's, you know, when you distill it down to the, the basics, it doesn't seem to be that hard. Yeah, really. And, you know, I'm halfway to having their haircut anyway. So, you know. Hey, you're there. <laughs> Mine, mine's all going in nice silver gray, but I, it's still there. I don't know what's going on, it. but it's still I, there. You know, so. I'm jealous. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. I'm not going to fight it, but yeah, it's it's funny, and you know, funny, funny too. Like you're married, but I'm not. Yeah. And I, I remember, see, I got divorced when I was about 39, 40, somewhere in there. And I remember thinking that life was just over, you know, like dating and all that kind of stuff. I've been married for eight years. And I remember I was talking to this this one little short, little absolutely gorgeous Cuban girl in the bar black curly hair, like whole life spent in a squat rack. And, yeah. and, uh, I was like, how old are you? Anyway, she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm 21. I was like, ah, oh. she's like, how old are you? And I was like, I'm just gonna, yeah, whatever. Whatever. I was just like, I'm just gonna say it and whatever. And she'll go away. And I was like, I don't know, whatever, 39, 40, whatever it was, 40. And she was like, Hmm. I think you're older than my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, eh, like, is that a problem? She's like, no, Poppy. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> hey, maybe there's life after 40 anyway. <laughs> well, so I'm like, ah, I'm just going to let the gray go. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to color that in. I'm just, yep. It served me well. Yep. <laughs> you know, this turned white a few years back and it was like, Huh. I don't care. Uh, I wish mine would, would decide my beard because if I grow it out, it's it's kind of salt and pepper, but I got two white spots right here with black around it. It it looks really like it can't decide what it's doing. So I, I, I got to keep it tight. Yeah, right. Give it a little time. It'll all soon match, my friend. <laughs> yep, and I don't think it's too far away. And I can, then I can grow it out. So right now, it's in that in-between. It's like the teenage beard. I don't know. It's, it hasn't decided what it wants to be yet. So uh, maybe someday. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know what, Stacey? I'm gonna, I know you've got a lot of stuff to do. It's early where you're at. It's like 4 o'clock my time. But. Yep. 
I'll let you go. Anything that you would like to share as far as mindset when it comes from starting small and, and building to something successful? Um, you know, when it comes to mindset, probably the most important thing I've learned, I've started, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've started and ran five different companies. Two of them have failed miserably. One we broke even and two have been extremely successful. That sounds like a better ratio than most. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, I have learned more from the failures than I did from the ones that have been extremely successful. Right. Um, you know, if, if people tell you, you know, oh, go write down your goals, oh, review your goals daily, go, you know, do whatever, you know, my goal list is literally right there above the camera in front of my desk. Um, yep. I am huge on visualization seeing yourself successful, seeing, working through the steps that it's going to take to reach those goals, know what your goals are, and then just realize that the reason people fail is they give up too early and they're not willing to put their nose to the grindstone. I mean, we started Summit literally out of a bedroom, moved it to a closet, um, started it with $6,000. Um, we'll do five and a half million this year. Right. Um, you know, and is it, is it all just luck? No. I mean, I, I've been on the road for the last eight years, about 50% of the time doing trade shows, like where I met you. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's out talking to people and, and making sales and, you know, pushing your company but then as you grow it, it gets a little easier and a little easier. And the next thing you know, you've got 380 virtual assistants and, you know, a staff of 17 and I'm leaving tomorrow, Sunday here in the States to go spend two weeks in the Philippines. Um, and so, you know, and nothing will fall apart while I'm gone. I, I, they really, honestly, I don't know why I'm here. They, they tell me I'm supposed to stay here, but I haven't figured out why, because everything revolves around me. I'm not the center of the universe, but, you know, I'm the, I'm the figurehead in the U.S., and right. the staff takes care of 99% of what needs to be done. So, you well, know, that's, you know, you, you, that's the biggest differentiation, too, between being a solopreneur and an entrepreneur, is you have built a business. You have put systems in place, and... Shockingly enough, if you were when you're gone for two weeks, your revenues will probably go up. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you t- take yourself out of the equation, and you know, good things will probably happen. But you know, like you said, that is not luck. That happened specifically by chance because you were attentive. I mean, obviously, you're focusing on your goals, and you have to have that because I'm big into visualization too. You have to clearly define what you want and you have to visualize it and focus on it each day, but it's your actions each day that bring you to where you want to go. Absolutely. And that's, that is key. But, you know, building a business is different, you know, building, working on your business instead of working in your business. Correct. I think it's huge. I think that's where, you know, a lot of people get bogged down. They get, 
oh, I, I can't turn this over to anybody else. Nobody does it better than I do, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> well, if you're going to grow that thing, you can't do everything. I mean, literally, you, you have to learn to, uh, you know, hand things off to others. And literally, that's where the virtual assistants come into play. Um, you know, Funny enough, it all ties in. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I've had an executive assistant now for 14 years. Um, and it hasn't right. been the same person. Um, originally, it was Bernadette. Um, now it's yeah. a nice young man named Jake. Um, but I can't ever see my life without them. They, you know, manage my schedule and my time and they make sure I've got what I need. And, you know, I know what calls I need to make and all. If you turn that over to somebody else to help you manage, you will surprisingly get eight hours of sleep at night. You will not wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh shit, do I have, did I get such and such done? Did I get that contract out? Oh, I wonder what happened there. And, yeah. You know, I, I sleep Done. like a baby now. And there were years that I used to keep a notebook by my bed because I'd wake up in the middle of the night and have to write notes to myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I've done that a lot. I've done that a lot. But that's a, that's a, you know, you've, you've got to grind it out yourself in the early years until you get to that tipping point. Like you said, a lot of people can get to that tipping point, but they, whether it's ego or fear or whatever it is, make it that transition where you're hiring people and trusting them and delegating the work so that you can keep doing what you're good at. Like I am horrible at admin, right? I am not an organized administrative type guy. I'm absolutely horrible at, but I can, but I can talk to people. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a sales guy. I can sell snow to Eskimos in the dead of winter, yep. but don't ask me, don't ask me to go into QuickBooks and do our accounting. I can read a P and L statement. That's all I need to do. I don't care how the numbers get in there. Um, right. I can as long as they're, as long as they're, <laughs> yeah. they're over on this side of the sheet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how they get in there is eh, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I want to make sure that this number is the right number. That's right. As long as that number at the bottom, when I add it up, it all works and I know where all that money went, we're golden. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. But, you know, exactly. that's, that's not my specialty. Um, and no. outsource, you know, outsource what you're weak at. Because yep. And no also outsource what you're weak at, but also the, the tedious, time-consuming stats. Like even with this podcast, yeah, there's going to come a point where I'm going to employ your services that will edit everything. Yeah. <laughs> edit out the podcast, edit out the, the shorts, edit out, repurpose, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And because honestly, that as I'm digging into the editing and all that kind of stuff, it's time consuming. Oh, yeah. You know, you take a you take a 30 minute YouTube video and that could could very easily take you anywhere from three to four to five hours to edit it before you have the finished yep. product. Mm -hmm. uh, and so not to mention pulling out the snippets for social media yeah, and the reels yeah. and, and the, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, it, it's so time consuming. Yeah. And so, you know, outsource all that stuff. Why, why struggle and fight with something you're not good at? Um, I can talk about it, but don't ask me to do it. I mean, I understand the principles and the basics, but you don't want me sitting there. I'll hell I'll be there for three weeks. And uh, you know, it's just not worth it. No, it's not worth it because 
my time, like your time, is better spent talking to people or on camera doing something yeah. that... Exactly. <laughs> that we're good at. That's it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now, I'll be editing here shortly, but I'll be looking at the Mediterranean while I do so, and it's okay for right now. <laughs> yeah. That, that part of it doesn't suck. <laughs> no. And when you get flustered, no. you can just kind of run down to the beach, maybe jump in, swim a little bit. It'll, it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's four ish blocks away so i'm a little sad i'm not on the beach but oh. first world problems right oh, i know, first world problems. <laughs> I know. but you, you know what i'll survive what city in spain are you in marbella okay if you get the chance take the train mm -hmm. you absolutely need to go spend at least three days in the old city in barcelona okay yeah, yeah. i've actually I've, I've been meaning to go to Barcelona. It's not on the, not on the itinerary for this trip. Mm -hmm. I'm, most of the time is going to be spent here. I spent a little time in Malaga, and there's a little town if you go back into the mountains called uh, Mijas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very very scenic. So I'm gonna spend some time there. But this most this is just a Costa del Sol trip. Yeah. That's it. And speaking of which, I've got to book my flight to Thailand. I was <laughs> now I've got my dates figured out. <laughs> well good yeah yeah, yeah. so now i can now i can jump online and 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 find some flights to bangkok here real quick <laughs> because every adult male over the age of 21 should visit a city named that yeah exactly and you could be absolutely positive that when i'm walking off the plane into the bangkok airport i will have murray head on my headphones with the one night in Bangkok sign playing. Well, you know, and the other thing is it's you'll happening. also be the tallest person in the airport. <laughs> yep. And much like much like uh, Playa del Carmen or Cancun, I am yeah, yeah. a weird giant over there. You're not hard to find. <laughs> no, they can spot me pretty easily. So yeah. outside of all the Russians coming to Thailand, I'm, I stand out pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so... Absolutely. Well, my friend, it's been an absolute pleasure like I thought it would. Always a pleasure to see you. I appreciate your time, Stacy, and uh, best of luck in everything. I know luck isn't the thing, but it sure can't, sure can't hurt. Nope, absolutely not. And in Tagalog, salamat po. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Enjoy your time in the Philippines, my friend. Will do. Take care. <laughs>